Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League, powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. And if I were to tell you that our last TikTok got more views than an NHL arena seat number capacity like would you be really excited about that yeah that means we got like 25 to thirty thousand mm-hmm. views no that would be one of our most viewed um but that's not quite what i mean um, because we just got more than mullet arena which is just a shade over five thousand which is still good but what? what's mullet arena um mullet arena is asu stadium also oh. also the coyote stadium for the next three years Oh, you mean where um the Arizona Coyotes had like their their first ever musical production yesterday? And the reason why I say that is, did you see what those locker rooms look like? They look like the backstage of like yeah a local music production. Yeah, they're not. They're quite ugly. Like they they literally look like a regular GTA arena. At least the home the home ones. And you're right. The away ones look like backstage. Yeah, the away ones. They literally took like curtains that your grandmother would hang up to air out and like. In, in the backyard and they did that to divide partitions between players it looked absolutely terrible you think Downsview arenas looked better than that yeah i think like it's honestly not that much that much different because at least in Downsview arena everyone has a hanger i saw a picture the guy sitting next to clayton keller i think his name is mcbain he doesn't have hangers or a cubby it's just wall and then his name was taped up on like a piece of white brick yeah. It was so gross. Zero lighting. I, I think all the sticks were just thrown together on the ground. Like people, players' skates were just piled up on in the corner no, of the room. There's no room. I, I don't understand why they didn't put... like Okay, the Arizona Coyotes coming into the season knew that they were going to be the laughing stock of the league. Wouldn't they do everything they could to make it at least look semi-presentable? It looked like they well, made that away locker room the day before the game. I think they're either in the process or did put $20 million into renovations of that arena already. So, I mean, they've tried. Um, I don't know where that $20 million went. I don't know if it's because they're going to go on the road again in like a week mm-hmm. for another month. So maybe that's when they'll change things up. But they are trying. They got, I think they, I, they, I read a report, $20 million, and ASU is not putting a single cent into it and because ASU the Coyotes re- don't have to. And the ASU have to. recoups it all. Yeah, it's actually such a deal for ASU. The Coyotes got walked all over because they have literally nowhere else to go. All of that, and they don't even get to have their logo by themselves in the center ice circle. Did you yeah, see if ASU has they, I don't even. Yeah, I don't even know if they get sponsorship revenue for, for ice sponsors and board sponsors. I mean, maybe for the TV ones because they're fake, but the actual in-arena ones, I don't think they make any money off of that. It's actually such a joke. Wow, and if it went bad to worse, like we saw last year what happened with the New York Islanders when they started their season, I think, what was yeah. it, like 15 games on the road in a row or something? I have to think that if these renovations are going to take place, that's kind of why Arizona started their first four or five games on the road. They probably came home so that they could at least have a home opener, and like you said, now they're going to go back on the road. For another month. They're already the worst team in the league. Like, There's a chance they go like 4-15 and 15 on the road before they come back yeah. home. I would even if um, they played all their games at home, they'd probably still be the worst team in the league. Oh, but undoubtedly. But the fact that they're literally not going to be at home until the end of November is makes it way worse. Um, okay, so I think we've aired out the Arizona Coyotes a lot. Maybe we'll look for look to the positives. I mean, there's okay. there. I was wrong. There's there's five thousand 
and 26 fans in oh, their capacity, mm-hmm. not 3,000. So we can double that a little bit. And it's pretty cool that they have like a whole dedicated section for um, for students. Did you see this? Oh, for college students? Yeah, it's really That's cool. It looks cool. like a really mini like NFL, like on a very micro scale, like an NFL section where like you have a bunch of um, um, students that are just looking to party. And mm-hmm. it adds a little bit of vibrance to the to the game, which is cool because Arizona has been deprived of that for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, if uh, if anything, the benefit of a 5,000 or seater is that you're going to be sold out every game because mm-hmm. that's usually <laughs> what they get anyway. But if they can actually have some sort of atmosphere and have a little bit of a party section with some chants going or something, I mean, at the very least, at least it'll sound loud. Yeah. I for don't know. For any of our viewers, I would say that are like 25 and under and you play NHL 2023, you'll know what EASHL <laughs> is. Their arena really looks very close to like the second arena that you unlock in in pro clubs for nhl i think we had a better arena last year you and, and i and we grinded games yeah <laughs> we were <laughs> we were chipping the fuck off the glass to get to the junior c arena and we outpaced the coyotes already oh man um i have a question so mm. we watched the home opener we all know that overall you know as, as positively as we can keep it it does look sad that they're playing in that arena why didn't the arizona coyotes just lease time from another nhl stadium that was close we see it with like the clippers and and the lakers a bunch in t-mobile arena in vegas a million different things use that arena why couldn't arizona go to another team that was close and say hey can we borrow your arena for half of our home games this year i i don't think they could have because I don't, I don't know how scheduling would work. I, that, that, that's the first thing that came to mind. It's like, how are you going to fit both teams have 42 home games or 41 home games? That's the first thing. Maybe there's a way to figure it out because I, I don't know if hockey teams have shared stadiums in the past, but I know like soccer teams do. I think basketball teams do, like you said. So there, there might be a way, but is there even anywhere close enough to Arizona except Vegas? But Vegas is Vegas. Like, wouldn't they want to keep that to themselves because it is such an advantage so scheduling is the first thing that i thought was an issue as well but then immediately once i think of the clippers and the lakers they each play 82 games as well 42 at home so it clearly can't be an issue ideally you'd kind of want a team i would think that doesn't fill out their seats number one and whose fans fans aren't extremely diehard because then you could share an arena and the first thing that comes to mind is like the anaheim ducks are so close to arizona stadium um, on my page right now, and um, you can look it up, you just Google a list, a map of all the NHL teams in the league, you will see that there's only four or five NHL arenas on the west coast of the states. And the two closest ones to each other are the Phoenix Coyotes and the Anaheim Ducks. And it really, I, I don't understand why the Arizona Coyotes just didn't strike a deal with the Anaheim Ducks to try to play half their games there. I think it's a win-win, first and foremost, for the Anaheim Ducks. I'm sure they would get a huge share of the revenue from ticket mm. sales, number one. They'd probably get to keep all of the be- the beverage and food um, sales as well. And like, like number two, the only downside I could see it from the, the Anaheim Ducks is they might be worried that some of their fans may become fans of the new team that I goes there. I about that. Exactly. Is there anybody <laughs> that is in a race to become an Arizona Coyotes no, fan? Literally right? no. So the Anaheim, th- this just seems like the perfect storm because it works for the Ducks. And when you look at it from the um, Arizona Coyotes standpoint, look, it's a lose-lose to be playing in a college arena or having to lease an arena from another team. However, from the perspective of maybe not looking like a laughingstock or maybe being able to attract a free agent, don't you think it's exponentially better to play in an NHL arena than it is to play in a 5,000 capacity college arena? I think, yeah, yeah I guess at first glance it, it would because at least you're 
playing in, f- in the stadium. Mm-hmm. I just, w- I wonder, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. I ever actually thought about leasing an arena or sharing an arena. It does happen in other sports, but I never thought about it. I just wonder, I wonder if maybe like Arizona, like the owners there, they seem a little shady. I wonder if they had a little bit too much pride to go away from their, their plan that they have there. Cause they do seem to be like very married to the idea of making things work in, in Arizona. I wonder if, if they didn't want to have to go to another owner with like th- with their tail between their legs and say, hey, can you help us out? I wonder if I mean, billionaires have, have pride, they have egos. I wonder if that maybe that gets in the way. It could also just be logistics. Maybe they, they thought it was going to be too expensive to, to fly, fly the team out to Anaheim or to keep them in hotels all the time. At least if they're home in Arizona, they players can stay in their houses. I don't know. There could be a million reasons. Um, but... From an optics perspective, it might have made sense to shut out that cash to have a presentable home game every once in a while. I think every player on the Arizona Coyotes would be okay with that move. I, I think three or four of them have come out and said it's pretty embarrassing what they have yeah, to play. It is. It is. It, 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 it is. I agree. I, yeah. I, when we think of it, the Arizona Coyotes couldn't continue to play in in Phoenix. Where is it? Scottsdale. It's Phoenix, right? I think they were playing in. I don't know if it was Phoenix. It's wherever Gila River Arena is. Toledo? Is it Toledo? I have no idea. Whatever. Semantics. They're playing in, in Phoenix for all intents and, purpose, in, intents and purposes. Mm. Um, I f- I, they, they end up having to pay $20 million, um, to to Excuse me. They have to end up paying $20 million to increase the availability of an arena that they don't even get to recoup the costs in yeah. because they're given to the Arizona Coyote um, to to wherever whoever plays in mullet arena i don't even know ASU. it's so sad and instead i i kind of feel like they could strike up a deal with anaheim and say like look if if we don't our lease payments would just be in the form of you literally collecting 40 percent of revenue and ticket sales and all of the food and beverage because anaheim would definitely net a profit on this and it would allow arizona to not have to pay lease costs that at the worst you don't even get to recoup that's the sad part it's the mullet arena is going to leave being better and having to pay no money yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I think it, it seems like it seems reasonable from the outside. I just I wonder what things would have held them back internally because it does it doesn't make sense. So there must have been something stopping them. Maybe Gary Bedman got in the way, would have gotten in the way, and said, "Hey, no, 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 we can't have this happening. Mm-hmm. Got to stay in Arizona because we need to prove that it works." There could have been so many reasons, and I have no idea what they are. But from the outside looking in, sharing an arena makes sense. There must have been something internally, either on the Arizona side or the NHL side, that kiboshed it if it was ever something that they were thinking about. Yeah. I don't know, because it, it makes sense. It's one thing if it was the Vegas Golden Knights. Then then I agree. The Vegas Golden Knights, I believe, next to surprisingly the Seattle Kraken, and I think that's because they're both expansion teams, are among the top two in the league in selling out their tickets. Mm-hmm. So, fine. I, I doubt Vegas would have anything to gain from that. But I looked it up, and, Ar- and Anaheim is ninth worst in the league in gate receipts. Like, they have trouble selling yeah, tickets. They, they suck. Right? They're terrible. And also, not the market for hockey mm-hmm. in the West not, Coast past LA isn't huge. not huge. Right? No. I, I don't know. I thought it would work. Th- those are my two cents. Gary Bettman, if you're listening to this podcast, I would <laughs> gladly accept a financial or logistical role within the NHL. You know, provided that I get to with Gary Bettman through the microphone in my basement right now. Provided that I get to maintain equity of the UFR podcast. Oh God! Because I can't, I can't leave my boys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Businessman coming out in full force. We're just going to take a brief minute to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, Jaded Collective, calling all entrepreneurs and all business owners. 
Here at Jada Collective, we understand that image is everything. The way you represent your company not only reflects you, but also your hard work. If you're just starting up, getting your name out there is huge for new clientele because first impressions are important not only in business, but also in life. Jada Collective is the perfect one-stop shop for all your marketing needs. We offer promotional products and services, content creation, and all of your marketing, branding, and events needs. We are there every step of the way from the first call until product completion. We will work with you to ensure your vision is brought to life. You can find us on Instagram at at jadedcollective or email us at jadedcollective at gmail.com or call Joey at 416-676-4411 to get a free quote or to see some of our work, which like a podcast host, it speaks for itself. We are excited to work with you and eager to make you another one of our happy clients. Let us handle all that so you can sit back, relax, and listen to some podcasts just like this. So call or email Joey at Jaded Collective because believe me, you'll be mad that you waited. Let's um, let's hop over uh, to the Leafs. We talked about a sad topic in the Coyotes. Talking about another sad topic for a different reason now. Leafs, I don't know why. Somehow they're in a divisional playoff spot, but we all know if we've been watching that they're not playing like a team with cup ambitions right now. I think something you noticed, um, particularly that we wanted to start off with, was just was Sheldon Keefe because he's a he's been a, a little more fiery, let's say, in, in um, post game press conferences and just anytime he has access to a microphone, he's taking shots. It seems like, yeah. And I mean, I honestly, I don't, I don't really hate it, but let's let's see what you think first. Well. I think the word I would use to describe Sheldon Keefe is vocal, like you said. I mean, after the loss to Arizona, and granted, I was at that game. Um, big thank you to my uncle for providing me with those tickets. We had a good time. Um, they that, that was the worst game I've ever seen the Toronto Maple Leafs play. And we could talk a lot about whether that hand pass at the end of the game or the penalty cost me. At the end of the day, they didn't show up for three periods. Sheldon Keefe was perfectly within his rights to be upset at the Toronto Maple Leafs. But right after the game, in the heat of the moment, you know, doesn't give him time to just settle down a little bit. He comes out and says, our best players haven't found a rhythm. Fair. I agree with that. And he goes, the difference between us hmm. and Arizona is that we have elite players. First of all, that's so savage to say, even though it's true, you just don't say that. And then he goes on and says, our elite players didn't play like elite players today and they couldn't make a difference. See, now the problem I have with this is isn't this like the third time that Sheldon Keefe has called out his top players in his tenure? Like possibly, but they deserve to be called out. They've been awful, except for John Tavares and Nylander. But he, we know who he's talking about. He's talking about Matthews and Marner. Mm-hmm. They've it's, both been really bad. And even though they're putting up just under a point a game, they've been bad. So I, I agree. They deserve to be called out. Yeah. But just because they deserve to be called out, does that mean you should air them out in the biggest sports media part in all of Canada or you should keep that internal? Because uh, I, I don't know a single other coach that has aired out their players. I actually don't know. I'm sure it's well, Dallas. Okay, but that's from upper management. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about coaches here. I can't think of another coach that on a very, uh, and consistent isn't the right word, but he's done it three times compared to other coaches I've never seen do it. Just come out in a sports media press conference and just air out his players. I don't know. It's probably happening. I just don't pay enough attention to the rest of the league. But I, I don't, honestly, like, I feel like these guys are a little too protected because they seem too comfortable sometimes. Okay. I think you need a kick in the ass some, a lot of the times too. Like I love Matthews and I love Marner, but they seem like they get they get a little too offended when people are calling them out. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Marner went into the room after and had a discussion, which is fine. You communicate, but at the same time, you're getting paid twenty 
three almost million dollars combined to be the best two of the top 10 players in the league and you haven't been and this is a we know this is a desperation season for the Leafs as have the last three so if you're not playing well you're gonna like people are gonna write about you in the media anyway they're gonna call you out so for me I don't mind that the coach does it because clearly if the coach has been keeping it internal sometimes it hasn't been working so I honestly don't have a problem with it um I think there is a balance to strike between finding, keeping things internally, having discussions and, you know, expressing that you're not meeting expectations internally. But I think there's also a point. You got to use the media to your advantage sometimes and a wake up call is necessary. And I thought it was, I thought it was appropriate here. Um, maybe he doesn't do it moving forward because you don't want to keep doing that. But I think every once in a while you need a little wake up call and what they've been doing internally obviously hasn't woken them up. So maybe you got to just air, air them out. See, my question is what is airing them out publicly benefit compared to keep just keeping it internal and i understand well, what you're saying if they've done it enough times internally and it's not working yeah. you try something new that's what i'm but, saying but what's the what's the benefit benefit is a little bit of added pressure a little bit like maybe some now the pressure's on like people know that the coach thinks you're not good enough even though you knew that now everyone else knows it and now it's a, a little maybe like let a fire under their butt maybe maybe keith knows that matthew's um tends to get a little fired up when he gets when he gets outed in the media so maybe he's using that to his advantage. I agree, but he gets outed in the media every day, especially in Toronto. Like, it's one thing in Arizona where not a single camera is kept on that arena. But in, in Toronto, these players are getting aired out every single day. And I agree, there could be some benefit to airing them out publicly so that there's added pressure. I just wonder that if in this market, the um, the cost of doing so over overweighs the benefit. And here's what I mean. Like, the most important attribute for any single coach, we've seen all the best coaches in the league have it. The Sullivans, the Cassies, the John Coopers. Like, the players play for them. They have a control of the room, and they don't lose the room. We saw when teams just change gears, how they change gears after a new coach comes into the room, and the roster is constructed in the exact same way. We saw it, and I mean, it's not coming to fruition this year. Remember remember last year with the Vancouver Canucks with Bruce Boutreau? Mm -hmm. A new coach comes in. The players start playing for the coach. There's just camaraderie. There's a different culture. I don't want to be too vague with these words, but there's just something intangible about the team that makes them different. And I wonder if Keith airing out his players not once, not twice, three times now in his tenure, which has only been about two years, especially after he hasn't given up, given himself a chance to just calm down or like talk to his players internally before doing this. Like, I wonder if he starts to lose the room. And look, I'm, I agree with you. I'm all about accountability for top players. But I, just, I don't know if airing them out publicly is the way to keep yeah. a room, especially in a desperation season like this. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because we're seeing early in the season and in, and in this West Coast swing, like something's different. These, these players aren't playing for him. I don't know if they're not playing for him. This is just, this is the Leafs. They never started a season. Well, even last year, they sucked. True. It was the same under Babcock. They never started on time. They would never play until they went down in the third period. They never stuck up for each other and set up, set up for each other, except when Wayne Simmons was in the lineup. We saw against the Jets, but yesterday against the Sharks, some bum, Evgeny, Evgeny Svechnikov, was literally cross-checking, slashing Matthews at center ice, and nobody did anything. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the players bear a lot of the responsibility because it's been two coaches now I agree. and two coaches who preach a lot of the same things as much as we want to talk about Babcock being terrible and he was in certain ways him and Keith preach a lot of the same things in terms of starting on time being accountable doing all these things that all coaches say at a certain point I think the players need to bear responsibility for this I, I agree and, and, and this is part of it now because coaches I think this is like this is a coaches in my opinion this is like their last resort. Nothing's working. I got I got to go to the media now. Yeah, I, I I can see where you're coming from. And I agree. The player should be bearing the brunt of the responsibility because it's clearly not a coaching thing. 
However, yeah. I think when you bear the responsibility, sit Matthews, sit Marner for a period. Don't healthy scratch them, obviously. I think They're sitting them is just as bad as this, honestly. Okay, but the difference is, is now you let the media air them out. It's not the coach. The coach is airing them out in a way that is like socially acceptable to the players in the culture of hockey. Versus now, when Matthews plays a terrible game, he hasn't scored in seven games. The first thing he does when he opens Twitter is he goes, the head coach is saying he's not good enough. And he knows it. The, he knows Sheldon, it. Sheldon not... Keefe comes into the dressing room at the end of the game and airs them out. And he's got to do it in public, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. I, like, I wonder if these players start going like, man, I don't want to use the word screw, but like, screw this guy. Like he's talking Maybe. all this crap to us. And now he's talking out there. Like, I wonder at what point he loses the room. And I, and I agree this in a perfect world, these players should be professional enough to understand that they deserve this scrutiny, but like, yeah, this but is reality. They might not be. I think that's, that's a, that's a fault of theirs too. I, I think there's, I think both parties are to blame. I'm just frustrated now. I think if, if this was like, if this was this time last year and keep did this, I'd, probably say hey easy mm-hmm. but right now i have I have no sort of mercy not mercy not the right word but i don't, I, don't, I don't feel bad for these players anymore I, I agree when i think of the best coaches like the most respected coaches in the league that just have a have a history of players playing for like daryl sutter is the one that comes to mind mostly like would you agree he's a he's a player's type of coach like has he ever lost a room i, I can't remember i i i don't remember no. right and the reason why i bring up this argument is because last year playing for um when they played the edmonton oilers in that conference not the conference finals the one before yeah Second the round. calgary flames just weren't good enough i remember markstrom was terrible linholm goodrow kachuk were terrible as well daryl sutter got asked continually about these yeah. players and we're all sitting there we're all listening like we all know daryl sutter wants to say these guys aren't good enough but what does he say he goes maybe our players are doing the best that they can and we're just running into the best player of all time does he believe that? Probably not. No. But what benefit at that time in a time yeah. of desperation to saying, no, Lindholm's garbage. Markstrom's garbage. Like, what does that do? No. Nothing. Nothing. It doesn't do anything uh, productive. I just... Also, Calgary was really good that season and yeah. really consistent. The Leafs are the opposite right now. That's fair. I guess I there's mean, a lot of things that come into yeah. play here. I wonder if... And so the reason why we bring up this conversation about Sheldon Keefe is there's starting to be tweets. A lot of like NHL fans and even analysts are starting to talk about it. Like not Sheldon Keefe is going to get fired, but is Sheldon Keefe now on the hot seat? Maybe a portion of him thinks that he is, which is why he's getting desperate. I don't know. Do you think he is? If you're Dubis, is he on the hot seat? I, if I'm if I'm Dubis, if I if I'm the G, if if I'm Dubis, he's not on the hot seat because I don't think Dubis would fire him. I think Dubis and him will go down together. If they mm. if they don't do anything this year, bye bye to both of them. By maybe even bye bye to Shani, like who knows? But I don't think Dubis would. I honestly don't think Dubis would fire Keith just because they're they're boys and they've been. They won them. They won. They were in Sault Ste. together. They won the Calder Cup together. I just don't see him doing that. Maybe I mean you have to make tough decisions in sports. So may, maybe it gets to a point if they really can't get a win in these next like I don't know if they are terrible. Let's say over the next stretch of ten games, maybe he has no choice. But I just really I don't see that happening just because I don't. Just because of the who Dubis is, but if I was the GM, mm-hmm. even like, Keefe is, I think he's like the highest winning percentage in Leafs history as a coach. Really? Wow. Something like that. Well, they they set the record for points in franchise history last season with him there. Um, clearly, they can play good hockey with him. I don't know if the Le- I I heard another a couple other people talking about this. Is that do these players deserve another coach in terms of like saying the coach is the problem and then giving them another chance? I know it's only been two coaches with this same core, but we know it's deeper than just two coaches. They've had many opportunities to have success, and they haven't been able to do it. I don't think Keefe was the problem against Montreal. 
I don't think Keefe was the problem. Like when they when they blew a three one series lead against Montreal, that's all the players. Mm-hmm. If you can't close that out against literally one of the worst teams we've seen in a long time, that's your fault. Like I don't care what coaching strategies were used. I don't care what the coach said didn't say. Like that's players. Mm-hmm. So to me, I'm kind of sick of the, these players not playing every game. And when the pressure gets high, collapsing. And maybe 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 you could bring a different coach in to change that. I don't know. I don't know that well enough, but. I, I don't want to blame a coach for, for these players anymore. Yeah, I I agree. You know, how many coaches have to come through the dressing room before you start to realize the coach isn't the problem? The, the, yeah. the, the issue is, is the easy answer is the coach is it's the one that's way to go, easier right? to get rid of the coach than to like to make a trade f- mid-season. E- exactly. Coaches' salaries don't count to the cap. These yeah. players are signed exactly. on term, right? You don't want to make any shakeups to the locker room. I think if Sheldon Keefe were to get fired, it would be... Um, because the team can't win, and it's because the team needs a shakeup, not because he wasn't good enough. Yeah, to be I agree. An NHL coach. Sometimes you got to do something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think he is touching coals. I don't think he's on the hot seat, mm-hmm, but I think fair. he's making his he's way there. Feeling the pressure. It, exactly, he's feeling the pressure. And going back to the the comments we just talked about, I just think airing out your players kind of accentuates that process a little bit because if you don't have your players playing for you, if you start to have players turning yeah. on you um, when you're not able to win games there's nothing for you to fall back on when the man when the GM comes to you and says why should we keep you around yeah I, I I can see it I can see the argument for not doing that especially in a market like this where like if things are going tough the last thing you want to do is not be together mm-hmm. so I, I definitely get that perspective I'm also just very upset with this team right now I'm not thinking logically either so and I'm not apologetic for that so we don't want you to be sorry. We want you to be bring bring that bring the anger to the pod. Bring in the heat because this team it. pisses me off. There's um I think there's a couple of reasons why fans on Twitter are talking about um firing Sheldon Keefe. One because they're the most delusional fans in sports. Like we can accept it. Toronto sports fans are the most delusional. Is not the word. They're there's like more delusional. Fans. Yeah, they're like on the opposite. They're always on extremes. It's either this yeah. team's winning the cup or this team's terrible. You know, sell the team, whatever. Um, it's because Barry Trotz who stepped away from coaching for mm-hmm. um, for the foreseeable future, what we thought in September, now came back. I believe NHL.com um, verified this quote. He said something like he wants to come back and coach. He wants to coach an original six team, and he wants to coach <laughs> a team that is uh, has a chance to win a cup. And, you know, the Leafs do fit all three of those. That's such a slap in the face to win a cup. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. It is because they are. they are, oh, wait, they're none of those. They're literally none of those. <laughs> yeah, they're none of those. And I mean, you know, there is a valid argument to saying even if, you know, if if you can look into the future and see Sheldon Keefe has a non-trivial chance of being fired, maybe you do it today while there's a good backup that that's yeah. available. I mean, Trotz is a very defensive-minded coach. This team is terrible defensively. I'll admit it. I was the first to say that for the last few years, this team was good defensively. Muzzin and Hall were a great second pairing. When Brody came, this team looked good from the he first did. line to the fourth. Like now... Past that first line, defensively, they're terrible. They suck. Right? They're really bad. Giordano had a, had a few bad games. He's giving up delay of game penalties left, right, and center. Sandine, you know, he just looks like he's not developing, but he, he's still a very good player. He's still good. Right? He can't, I don't think he can be a second pair. I agree. Right. This top six just isn't good enough no. to, be, to, to be winning a cup. Maybe hiring a defensive-minded coach who wants to play here does that. I mean, does, does Barry Trotz signaling that he wants to come to a team like Toronto do anything to accentuate the key firing if it were to happen? Maybe because if you fire somebody, you better have someone to hire. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know if the 
the Leafs. I don't think the players would enjoy playing under him, but I just flame the players, so I don't really care what they think at this point. But having the thing with I think with Barry Trotz's teams on the island is that he played a very defensive system and didn't and only had one borderline star. I think Barzal's a star, but he's not a superstar. The Leafs have two, if not they have two superstars and like maybe four to five star players. Yep, I agree with that. So if you're gonna play defense, you're gonna need superstars to carry your offense. I think it, it is a decent situation for Barry Trotz team. Like he won the cup in Washington with a similar setup. Yep. So he would be a guy that I would be very intrigued to bring in if they had to bring somebody in. I didn't know he was ready to coach again. So maybe now I'm more open to firing Keith. Not that I wasn't before, but I still don't think it will happen because Dubis is Dubis. But I wouldn't be. I, w- I wouldn't hate it if they came to that. Right. Like it, it just seems as if the perfect storm is brewing here. Um, especially because the coaching carousel is dried up so quickly. Yeah. I remember in the off season. <coughs> In the offseason, there were so many good coaches available. There was like yeah. Paul Maurice. There was Barry. I mean, Barry Trotz is still available. Cassidy. Peter DeBoer. Bruce Cassie. Bruce Cassie is one of my favorite coaches. And you missed all these guys. Can you imagine Barry Trotz gets hired? The Leafs don't win. They, they lose seven of their next mm. ten. And now who are you going to bring in? A coach from the Marlies and Literally repeat this no process? Yeah. I wonder if they lack a supply of coaches comes to mind here and accentuates the process. I, I don't know. I don't know. Me neither. But it's interesting to know that there's somebody out there does exist. Um, you mentioned defense, though. I need to just talk about Justin Hall a little bit Uh-oh. because I've—I feel bad for him now. He's really bad at hockey. <laughs> I saw him. I was watching. Every time he handles the puck, it's almost like he's trying to play hot potato. He doesn't not know what to do. He's flicking, trying to flick, like flick pucks off the glass, and he's fanning on it. He's getting this puck stuck in his skates, and he hammered in the corner. He's really just not it right now he, he's not he can't be playing in the top in the top four no he's not a top four nhl defenseman he's not and i cannot wait till lilligren comes back up when lilligren when lilligren comes back is justin hall not playing another game in a leafs uniform unless somebody gets hurt is like I, that the guy that comes right, out right now i don't think he's good enough to be in the lineup they just don't have anyone healthy so when he comes back i mean if he's gonna if lilligren's gonna play on the second pair mm-hmm. which i don't love that either but i think he's a better option than justin hall Justin and can Justin Hall and Giordano be on your third pair, or do you even kick them on and say no? Keep Mete in the lineup. I who are you keep? Who are you keeping? In, are you assuming Muzzin's healthy? The, the Muzzin's, Muzzin's hurt for, for now. He's not. He's on the IR. So who's the current second pair would be if well, you move Justin Hall down? And somebody. Oh, you'd play them Sandine or, and Lilligren or, together, or Gio and somebody. I think Gio and Lilligren as a de facto second pair is probably your best bet. It's not a great bet. No. It's the best it's bet that you have. The problem with Justin Hall, I mean, you said it very well. Justin Hall, for the longest time, looked like a great defenseman because he was playing beside a prime Jake Muzzin. Yeah. When we traded for Jake Muzzin, what, 2019, I think it was? Maybe it was 2020, regardless. Yeah, 2019 sounds right. Jake Muzzin was a, I think he was an Olympic gold medalist. He was a cup champion. Yeah, this guy was, was still playing 23 to 25 minutes a night, logging minutes, great stay-at-home defenseman. And when he came here, he was really, really good. You could have stuck me beside Jake Muzzin. Yeah. I've never played a game of defense in my life. And my, statist- my, my advanced stats would look relatively good. Right. The problem is, is now that we've seen Jake Muzzin start to deteriorate physically. And I mean, that's no fault of his own. He, like injuries, injuries happen to an older player. He's what, 34 years old. Something like that. When Justin Hall has starts to having to take the brunt of the wingers coming just down. Can't do he, that. He just can't do it. And the thing is, is that if you're not good enough to be an NHL defenseman that can lead a pairing, in my opinion, you can't be in the top four. You can be in the top no. six. Yeah. But the problem is, is the Leafs don't have 
another guy to lead a pairing unless you want to take Brody off of the line with Morgan Riley. But you can't because Riley's so offensively minded. You need a stay at home. You need someone to stay with him. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I guess the answer is a trade. The answer is trade. I just, (laughs) I don't know. Well, I mean, Chikrin was a guy who comes to mind. That's your guy. We keep using that word. We keep saying Chikrin, Chikrin, He's not coming to the Leafs, unfortunately. But he he would be somebody. He would be ideal. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know where you're gonna get a defense with top four defensemen. Like I, they don't go on trees, and teams aren't really willing to trade them either. I think they're in a really tough spot. And even if Muzzin does end up coming back, he's just not good enough either, and nope. he makes way too much money. I agree. He should he should be traded at the deadline. If you have to give up a second round pick, you have to do it. Free up five million I mean, in cap space, and you I would do just something keep with him on it. LTIR all year and for the rest of his contract, like Robida. They like literally put him on Robida Island because right now, honestly, for him and his health, he. He's got a couple of neck injuries. Some con- a couple of th- didn't he have two concussions last season or yeah. something like that? He came back and got hurt again against Montreal. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that game all together with Christian too. Shout out Christian. Um, but I just feel bad for the guy as a human too. He's not good enough at hockey, so maybe it shouldn't be in the lineup. Shouldn't be in the NHL. But also, he's got so many injuries. Just keep him on LTIR and maybe make a trade with that cap space too. Kind of everyone wins in that case. I don't know because he's not he's not good anymore. Unfortunately, yeah, I, I agree that this is just a worse situation for the Leafs to be in. They have yeah. a coach that is, um, you know, currently on the hot seat. That's added pressure that you never want to an organization. Defensively, I, I mean, the most important thing to a cup-winning team is obviously defense and goaltending. The Leafs have two problems there, and the reason why this is the worst time for this to happen to the Toronto Maple Leafs is, you know, I bring this up again and again, and it's true that if they have another losing season this year, I mean, like they don't win in the first for, round. Yeah, yeah. Austin Matthews, I like. You know, and I don't want to talk about this. Genuinely, I think there is an eighty-five to ninety percent chance Austin Matthews stays. Yeah, but as Kyle Dubis, you don't want to do anything to bring that percentage down. Yeah. and when he has to stay in an organization that doesn't have a valid coach, that is going through coaching carousels like it's nothing, that isn't fixing up their defensive top six, that is continuously losing in the first round, that spent more money on two goalies combined than they did for a first pairing goaltender, who I mean, albeit now isn't playing well, but at the time that didn't seem like a great decision. Those are just all variables that you know increase doubt in a team. And imagine if Austin Matthews goes. Imagine this team would be, oh my God, I don't even want to talk about it. We would be the laughing stock. It would be us yeah. and then the Arizona Coyotes. Mm-hmm. And then we would offer Connor McDavid $25 million AAV to come here. In a, in a few <laughs> years, yeah. But, but no, I'm, no, I they need to do everything in their power to keep him happy. Even though I don't really love pandering to players. Either. You have to pander a little bit for Austin Matthews. He's a, he's a top two player in the league. And yeah. I, we, we talked about this. Austin Matthews, you know, not to get on my soapbox love for Austin Matthews again, but he is the most complete player in the NHL. And I don't think that is a hot take. Offensively and defensively for an NHL player, there is nobody in the league who has a better mix of offense and defense. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, Connor McDavid is just so good at one thing. He might be the best in history offensively and skating wise, that he is undoubtedly the best player in the NHL, but most complete player. I've never seen a 60 goal back-to-back rocket Richard winner get Selkie votes and being that good in his own zone. That is a generational, like once in 50 to 60 year type player. I like Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Nikita Kudrov, guys that have won the heart in the last 50 to 60 years. You know, I'm not saying Austin Austin Matthews is definitely better than them, but he's defensively better than all of them, and he's more mm-hmm. complete than all of them. You can't let this guy walk. And now he's playing on a team where the second-pairing defenseman is literally an AHL-caliber team. He's got two backup goalies. One of them's on LTIR. Like, you're asking this guy to go out and play for the LA Kings for $16 million. Yeah, you 
starting to give him reasons to leave, unfortunately. But what I will say, though, is Samsung has been kind of good. He has. He's been really good. He has. He has. We got lucky, but he's been really good. But who knows how long that's going to last. But he has been good, so we should give him credit. He's at 932 right now. I, I agree, but the point still stands that it seems yeah. like the organization isn't doing enough to keep this team a Stanley Cup caliber team. Because for the first time in, I would say, three to four years, this team doesn't look Stanley Cup caliber right now. No, they don't. I just... We, we, we talk about it too, right? The the cap is really screwing with this team more than other teams. And that's not a great excuse, but it is a, it's an, it's a reason. I think it's a, it's a valid reason. They can't add on D because they have no money to spend. They don't have any money to spend because the cap hasn't gone up in two and a half, three years. So... I hope the cap goes up this off season so that they can maybe make some moves and improve their ability to keep him because he is still sticking around for one more year mm-hmm. under contract for one more year after this, even though it's, everyone's talking about it like he's going to be gone in July. He, he has another year, so he's going to be here for another year at the very least. Hopefully this off season they can do something. We're looking ahead to the off season when we're like seven games in. That's how anxious we are as the fans. That, but That's how big of a player he is. Yeah. No, they have they have to get this right, and it starts. It does start this season. It starts now because if you put doubt into someone's mind, if that seed is ever planted this early, it's only gonna grow. One hundred percent. And so it's, they gotta get it right. And it's crazy that like you talked about it a few episodes ago, and I looked up Austin Matthews's like stats. Um, he's averaging like six hits a game now. Like he is turning yeah. into an angry, ferocious forechecker. He can't score though. I'd rather you stop hitting and start scoring. But no, I do like to see the that. scoring will come. Yeah, and when it comes. A 55 goal scorer that is great defensively and is checking like Alex Ovechkin in that cup yeah. run. Tell me he's not the most complete player in the league. I think you have a really strong point. I do. I really do. Um, I don't know how much else we have to say on the Leafs. Unless I'm going to go red in the face. So let's, let's just move on before we keep getting upset um, at the Leafs. Mm-hmm. We can talk about some players who um, have had really, really great starts. Um, some players who we maybe kind of could have seen this coming. Some players we had no idea that they had this in their, in their locker in their arsenal. Let's start with um, Rasmus Sandin. No, Dalin. God, sorry, leaves on the brain. Rasmus Dalin. Nine points in seven games at the time of recording, and he scored five goals in his first five games. Wow! Literally leads the the team in points. Um, this dude's legit. He is legit, and I think it was only a matter of time because. He's proven why he was taken in a, at number one overall a couple of years ago. Yeah, he was number one. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, I'm. Um, I mentioned it last episode. We were talking about it with, with um, Shane Wright. You even talked about it a while ago. We need to like be a little more patient with these guys. We can't be calling them busts after a season and a half, especially when they're defensemen who always take a little longer. Mm-hmm. And when you get drafted to Buffalo, I'm sorry, you're at a disadvantage. At least you were in the previous iteration of Buffalo. Maybe this Buffalo is different. They seem a little bit different. But that combination, you need a little bit of time. And clearly the time has worked because he's he's developing into a true number one defenseman in front of our eyes. Oh, for sure. There is a very strong correlation between um, young stars, um, sorry, young high draft picks emerging as stars as the team starts to be better, right? Like for sure. we saw that with Jack Hughes too, like when the New Jersey Devils came out of the basement. I mean, he started to be a better player. There's just something about not playing on a bottom feeder team that, you know, I think drives you to be a yeah. better player. Like they're getting more out of Rasmus Dahlin because the Buffalo Sabres for the first time, and it seems like a hundred years have a shot of making a wild card spot. A shot. Right. Yeah. Especially considering the start. Like 
they are not a lock to miss the playoffs this year is what I'm trying no, to say. No, no. Just listen to these stats. I was looking up on, you know, very basic advanced stats. These are among all NHL defensemen. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we can use this to answer the question is, will Rasmus Dahlin continue this pace or is it just a small blip? Mm. Like, look, I think the pace is high. I think he does regress. Of he course. has to regress. Um, but he steadily improved year over year. And I think the elite status is here to stay. Among all NHL defensemen, he is first in expected goals, a full goal ahead of the next best defenseman in Brandon Montour and in Roman Yossi. He's first among all NHL defensemen in goals and in points. And he is 45th in the league in percentage of shifts started in the offensive zone. The reason why I bring up that stat that might seem obscure is because if that number is a lot higher, maybe you can say he's getting a lot of offensive zone starts if the players on his team can win um, can win draws. Maybe he's scoring a lot of goals because he's just in, in uh, opportune starts. That's just not the case. He's in like the bottom percentiles of offensive zone starts. That means he's driving play. He's earning these points. Mm-hmm. He is second in NHL. NHL defenseman in assists, like you mentioned. And in terms of volume stats, when we think of elite defensemen, like these are the um like the Chris Latangs, the guy like the Yossi's, the ones that log 25, 23 to 25 minutes a night and they can get to 27 in really important games. He's eleventh among all NHL defensemen in total mm-hmm. shifts, ninth in the NHL in shares of possible ice time at forty two percent. Like this guy is playing all the time huge minutes. And with playing huge minutes who obviously can't be a defensive liability and that's what we're seeing in advanced stats seventh in the league in takeaways like in the least amount of takeaways he is fourth in the league in relative expected goals percentage and what that means is that's the difference in percentage in expected goals when your team is on the ice sorry when you're on the ice versus when you are not on the ice and the fact that he's fourth in the league at that among all players is telling me that he's contributing a large share to his team's offensive production for sure these numbers have to point to being an elite defenseman and when is the sample size big enough this year 20 30 games in that you that can you start calling him a top 10 defenseman in the league even oh top 10 maybe i mean if he if he keeps anything close to this level of production i think he's going to put himself into that conversation Mm -hmm. even last year he was showing uh signs of of being this good last year when when the sabers were on their come up he was on his come up too and yeah i wouldn't be 10th is high, but I do think that's a possibility um, if he can keep this up. If he's top 5, like even if he's top 10 in points among defensemen and he keeps up this kind of play driving and this type of defensive responsibility, I think you'd be hard-pressed to keep him out of the top 15. Mm-hmm. So I think top 10 is certainly within shot. And they got another guy in the Sabres and Owen Power who looks like he can take a similar trajectory. They're going to be they're going to be set on D for a while it seems and I guess good for them. This Rasmus Dahlin starting to play very well in the elite level is so important for the Buffalo Sabres, in my opinion, because it enables the development of Owen Power to be a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, Owen Power no longer has to play or doesn't have to play against like top pairing, sorry, top um, offensive lines that we see in a lot of teams that draft a first overall defenseman who have no defenseman and this guy's stuck on the first line playing beside having to play against like Kachuk and Goudreau. Mm-hmm. He's playing second line minutes. His quality of competition isn't as high. Rasmus Dalin is still a very young player and the fact that he's becoming elite right now means the spotlight is on him. The spotlight's taken away from Owen Power. Yeah. Maybe he can spend some time developing like in the shadows and I think it's also important because Owen Power is having a pretty rough start to the year. I think he's yeah. got like one point and if Rasmus Dalin is playing like garbage, maybe a larger percentage of that blame of the of the team's problem starts to fall on Owen Power. Yeah, that's a good point. That's yeah. a really good point. I, I haven't really heard anything about him, exactly, good or bad, which is 
probably exactly what you want if you're Buffalo. 100%. No attention on him. Because you're hearing, first of all, how Buffalo's turning heads are surprising, and you're hearing Rasmus Dalin. He's going yeah. off. Yeah, I'm no, excited. that's a great point. I'm excited. I'm not excited that he's in the Atlantic, but but I yeah. am excited to see Buffalo not be terrible. Mm-hmm, for sure. We're just going to take a brief intermission to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, BetStamp. Picture this. A big Leaf game is on and you want to place a bet, but are overwhelmed by the abundance of sportsbooks that are offering you odds on the same game. Well, put your worries away by opening the BetStamp app, which will directly compare the lines across multiple sportsbooks to help you find the best odds possible. On BetStamp, you can verify the existence of your proposed bets and its corresponding odds in order to buy and sell picks with full transparency. Also thinking about making money selling your own picks? BetStamp is the place for you. With their commission-free marketplace, you can sell your picks on the app without paying a single cut. It's completely free. To learn more, visit betstamp.app Ontario using code UFR to get access to all of Betstamp's affiliates and their prices. The only way to get an edge in online sports betting is by using the Betstamp app alongside different sportsbooks. So download it today. We'll see you on the smart side of online sports betting. Next guy we have here is Nachushkin, mm-hmm. who somehow has 12 points and 7 goals in 7 games. Talk about um, filling a void. Um, but I think Colorado is it feels like they're becoming the next Tampa and similar, almost like the next Boston too, in that it doesn't matter who leaves. Someone always steps up and just fills a void and starts becoming an elite hockey player. Yep. Just out of, not, out of the blue is not the right word, but Nachushkin was never this good. He was never this productive. Um, it also helps that you can play with Miko Ranton and Nate McKinnon. But regardless, to play on that line doesn't guarantee you this level of production. See, but the thing is, he's not playing on that line five on five. That's what's crazy. The first line is McKinnon, Rantanen, and um, Lekkonen. Oh. Yeah, their second line is, I don't even know the players because Landeskog isn't there. I think JT Confer and Newhook play on the third line. I checked last night. He's like with two no-name players. And they're probably wow. they're probably named players for people who are Colorado fans, but I'm not, so I don't know their names. But he's putting up this five on five production on the second line. Granted, he's playing on the power play. The power play helps, but three of the top ten offensive players in the league. Still. But to put up this production by yourself. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, mean, I didn't realize he was playing with not the two big boys. So no. that's even more impressive. It, it's it's crazy. And you're right. There is just it seems like Colorado has this aura where there is like the word is there's an expectation to be good when you come here. It's not like the Toronto Maple Leafs where it seems like careers go to die. It seems like Boston where, you know, they sign Eric Howla and all of a sudden he's good again. They sign, you know, Brad Marchand comes back three months early from it from an injury and he seems to just be like scoring out of Connor McDavid, right? There's an expectation to be good or you will sit. And I wonder if that has to do with the coach. You know, we see a lot mm-hmm. of... Um, Colorado, like Jared Bednar, is, is solidifying himself as a, as a top coach in the league. Um, you mentioned Tampa, John Cooper, legendary coach. And then Boston, I mean, Bruce Cassidy for there for the longest time. He now they have there, yeah. Jim Montgomery, who's a well-respected a good coach, coach as well. Good coach. You know, um, I wonder how much of this has to do with the environment that he's playing with in and the pressure to win. But at the very least, I'm very happy that Nachushkin had that breakout year last year. And there's not like that Stanley Cup hangover type mm-hmm. renaissance period where you know, you just start playing badly. He's justifying yeah. that deal. Exactly, yeah. I was going to say, plus he got a huge contract in the offseason. People are questioning whether or not he could actually live up to it. It's only seven games. 
but he's uh pr- he's he's shown that he's worth more than what he got. Mm-hmm. So I think we can safely say that he's gonna live up to that contract at least for the next few years if he can, you know, keep playing anything close to this. He's been really really good. Um, next up is well, I think honestly he's been one of the most underrated players in the league since he got since he was at the Rangers. That's Matt Zuccarello, who is still a top line winger at thirty five. <laughs> Um, he's actually incredibly impressive for for a small dude too. He and he just makes things happen on the ice. Him and Kaprizov are like are such a dynamic duo that they're really really good together. I don't think um, the Wild envisioned kind of getting this level of chemistry from these two guys when they kind of had them together. But man, Zuccarello is is incredibly impressive this season. And last season was good too, but this season he's. I think he has 11 points in seven games, which is stupid. It's like almost leading the league in points. Which yeah, is, I, think, I think he's seventh. Which is crazy. Se- seventh in the league. Yeah. Which, But, I mean, he puts up one more point. He's tied to right now because they're just so close. Yeah. I think McDavid is like, I think McDavid is 16 because he got, he has two hat-tricks already. He's a mutant. <laughs> and then there's like a guy. I think after him, it's like maybe 13 or 14 is, is two. So, it's it's really tight early in the season. But top 10 in scoring is still mad. Has to be one of the better puck distributors in puck distributors in the NHL. But I mean, in 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 keeping with the theme of this, you know, this part of the episode, are we saying is this just a blip, or will players continue to be good? If there yeah. is one player that is going to regress, it is going to be Matt Zuccarello. Yeah, um, I don't think he's over a point a game player, but he's still really good. But yeah, I, I think this is an, imp- an incredibly impressive start that you probably can't maintain, but. It just seems like he's always, you know, proving people wrong. And when when I think of Matt Zuccarello, the first thing that comes to mind is the World Cup of Hockey. Do you remember him on Team Europe? Mm. My God, he was like, he was, was like their best player. Didn't they go to the finals or something like that? They did go to the finals against Canada, and he carried that yeah, team. Yeah, he was really good. That he was really good. It seems like there's no sign of slowing down in Matt Zuccarello. And I mean, hey, having Matt Zuccarello play with Kaprizov, if they both, if Kaprizov puts up 110, Zuccarello another. Even if it's sixty-five, he's on he's on pace to put him ninety right now. Yeah. Maybe this team can sneak in the playoffs. It'll be they just they're just not deep enough after them because no. they they got worse. But I don't even know what's the central even looking like right now. Do they, do they have a chance still? Um, the central is weird. I think the St. Louis Blues are in second last. Arizona's in oh, last. Geez. Colorado's leading it. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, it, right now it's um. If I can use a computer properly. Yeah, the Stars, Jets, Avs, Blackhawks, Blackhawks somehow, and then the Wild. The Wild are, honestly, they're not far out. I think they can. Still. I think the Jets are gonna fall off a little bit. I think it's definitely not out of the out of the balance. It's very it's very early. Yeah, it is it is very early. Um, okay, we have one more player. Um, yeah, you love this team, David Pastrnak. I do not love this team. <laughs> I do not. Don't get it twisted. What are your thoughts on David Pastrnak this year? And, I, I had said before the season started that if Buffalo, Buffalo, oh my God, Boston was going to make the playoffs or they were going to survive before they got McAvoy and Marshawn back, that Pasta was going to have to carry them. And he's done literally exactly that. I I think he's, he's reminding people that he's a, one of the top 15 players in the league when he's at his best. 100%. I think people sort of forgot about him the last couple of years, even though he was putting up in and around 40 goals. But I think people just kind of forgot about him for whatever reason. Maybe there's newer, newer names on the block, like the Jack Hughes. Matthews was going crazy. But this guy's a monster. Um, and he's carrying this team to first in the Atlantic somehow, which is crazy to me because they're missing so many guys. But we talked about Boston just has a way. If you put him on a Boston Bruins jersey, you become a different type of player. You buy into that system, and you become you contribute to the to the wins. Isn't 
You don't have to contribute with points all the time, but you're contributing. Pasta's carrying them right now, and they got they got Marshawn back yesterday. Traders go. I don't think they, there's no signs of slowing down with this team, and it's scary because they shouldn't be this good. Yeah, fourth in the NHL and expected goals. Um, and what's kind of crazy is that he is among the 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 highest ranked players in like discrepancy between expected goals and goals scored. And like what that's telling me is, first of all, he's scoring at a high rate, but like also the number of goals that he should be scoring is like way lower than the amount he's going. Like he's he is putting himself in crazy positions to score goals. I think, like you said last year, it was the first year in a while he wasn't in the Rocket Richard race, mm-hmm. still put up 40 goals. I mean, I think people forgot about him. I agree. And now that he's coming back, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. He is my best value pick to win the Rocket Richard at this point. And the reason is because mm. Connor McDavid is definitely minus money at the rate at the rate that he's playing in right now. He's leading the league in goals. I think Pasternak is only three behind. He did this all without Marshawn, like you said. Now that Marshawn's back, one of the better play drivers in the league, if Pasternak was doing this without any players, I mean, who's to say that he won't do this? Also, David Pasternak is on a contract here. Yeah, um, he is. Apparently, he wants eight by 11 and a half. And if he's going to get that, he's going to have to put up 55. And I think in most years, 55 wins you the Richard. So we will see. Eight by eleven and a half. He's worth it. He's worth 11? it, especially with the mm. cap trajectory. I think. Yeah. He's worth it. Yeah, I guess you gotta pay top goals, top five goal scorers in the league. You probably should be making up. You should be making over double digits. So I mean that that's fair. But wow, for eight years, I and mean, we can talk about that in the off season. But I mean, he does have a right to to ask that kind of money, and he's yep. he's just so good. I hate the fact that these guys are really good because it seems like they never leave. Um, and I could really see them making a deep run this year, unfortunately. Yeah, let's not worry about that until we have to. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll keep an eye on them, though. Um, we're going to take an opposite stance now. We're going to talk about players who would normally think to be among the elite players in the league who are having pretty bad starts. Mm-hmm. None other than Austin Matthews, who I think will figure it out. He's looked okay in spurts. Sometimes he just looks like he's uninterested sometimes. Sometimes. I think that's been a long-standing criticism of the Leafs team in general so I think it's just a symptom of a team environment that he's in but he does drive the boat for the Leafs I think eventually he's going to figure it out um the sad thing is that I think he's already kind of pissed the rocket away I know he had a really rough start last season but the gap that that exists between him and Pasternak and McDavid doesn't didn't exist last season so I think he's I think the rocket and the heart as well is out of out of contention on an individual basis but I have faith in in him of all the players on the list to, make, to kind of figure it out. So is that you saying you don't think, considering the start Matthews had, he can score 60 again? Or you think McDavid or Pasternak is going to score over 60 this year? Oh, I don't think he's going to 60. Because he, he was on this he, pace last year. He was. He was. Um, I don't know. I guess he, he, he can never he never su- fail to surprise us kind of thing. Like, you know, nothing is shocking with him because we know he can do it. Mm-hmm. But... Like I said, the guys who are ahead of him weren't this far ahead of him. That's I think true. this is going to be tough to catch up. I think McDavid's also going to make a case for the Rocket this year. He might just be upset that that's the one trophy he hasn't won yet. So it's, eh, it's he hasn't won his. another pretty big trophy. That's well, yeah, of course. But um, I think I don't know. I don't think he's going to win the Rocket. If he does, it will be incredibly impressive again. But I think he's going to figure it out. Do you do you think he'll figure it out? Yes. Like last year, Austin Matthews was on the same trajectory. I think he had one goal in his first seven games. It was roughly the same. Yeah. The only difference was last year he was nursing a wrist injury that he had just gone surgery for. That's right. For. That's right. This year he's completely healthy. So there is that difference. Um, I think if he knows, um, if he has the confidence that he can come back from a poor start because of last year, I don't think that there's anything that is stopping that confidence this year. I think he'll definitely come back. Expect mm-hmm. 52 goals from him. I agree. 
60 is not probably not going to happen, but I do think over 50 is going to happen. Still possible. I believe I saw a stat line in Hockey Night in Canada that um, him and Timo Meyer are one and two in the league in like the highest discrepancy between expected goals and goal scored. So he should be scoring more. Exactly. Like it's it's the things that you look for here that are ominous signs are when um, a player's expected goals are really low and he's not scoring because that means he's just not getting and putting himself in positions and he's not finishing. An even worse sign is when a player is scoring at a high rate, but his expected goals contribution is really low. That means that he's either playing beside Connor McDavid and is having tap-ins, or he's just, you know, he's getting very lucky. Mm-hmm. If there's one spot you want your goal scorer to be in that isn't scoring, it's it's this one. So mm-hmm. I think all signs point to him coming back. He even said it too. I think the, the game before he scored that very nice goal against San Jose, he said, I, I just need one to go in, and I feel like they'll all start going mm-hmm. in. It was a beautiful slap shot that, that he nice. scored against San Jose. Maybe, you know, that's the the impetus to, to start the goal I hope scoring so. spurt. I hope so, for the Leafs' sake. Um, next up is somebody that I Uh-oh. have nightmares about daily. Because he's in my fantasy team and he sucks right now. <laughs> Jordan Cairo. I don't even know what to say about him. He really angers me. He re- really upsetting me. Cause also because I said that was me who sort of um, on our show a few weeks ago said I would rather have him over Huberto over eight years. Which I mean may, may still stand because Huberto's been kind of crappy too, but Kind of proving me wrong here, unfortunately. Um, I don't even know. Before I go on like a little rant, what do you have to say about him? I just think the St. Louis Blues are bad right now. Like he is mm. way too good not to be good. Like like yeah. he's way too good not to be good. What I mean by that is, um, Cairo, we talked about last episode, has taken a different trajectory than other players like Matt Barzal, who are in those similar point ranges where he's getting better every year. So I think you know there is a solid enough history here to say that you know he will continue developing as a player and I think the money that he was given reflects that um I think you know on the opposite stance of Rasmus Dahlin who is playing very well because his team's playing very well like I mentioned when your team isn't playing well it just it, it seems like things aren't going right and once things start clicking for the yeah. St. Louis Blues you know everyone will start scoring Ryan O'Reilly hasn't scored very much Robert Thomas has been invisible Jordan Cairo has been you know he's been invisible even Tarasenko after the year he had last year hasn't yeah. been great they're second last in the Central right now. The only team that's behind them is Arizona. Like, once they pick up, I still expect 30 goals from them. Yeah. 28. I would like that. I would like that. The thing that I looked at, I was saying, okay, I wonder I wonder why this is happening. And that, the first thing I looked at was a shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's shooting 5%. Oh, that's a is, good sign. Which is low. But then I looked, I looked a little more, and I said, okay, well, like if you're shooting five percent, is that he has getting great quality opportunities and they just aren't going in? It's really the opposite. He's had twenty five scoring chances so far this year, at least according to the people who calculate that stuff. And nineteen of them were considered low danger. Oh, that is not a good sign. So that's I think what that would mean is like outside the little home play area, like between the hash marks, bottom of the circle area. So nineteen of his twenty five chances have come from the periphery essentially, which is not something I would expect from Jordan Kairu and not a good sign either. So I wonder if that's like a line thing. You know, so you, so you mentioned O'Reilly hasn't been playing well and they, they're on the same line. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the issue is. I don't watch enough St. Louis hockey to be able to pick up on what the issue is myself. But there clearly seems to be an issue where he's not generating any high danger scoring chances. Maybe he's not getting the puck when he is there or he's just not finding himself in that in those areas to score those high danger goals. But that has to change. I think when that changes, the shooting percentage will go up because it's hard to shoot 14%, which is around league average, or which is what the better players shoot if you're shooting from the top of the circles or from the periphery. So I think there's an explanation for the shoot, low shooting percentage that 
something needs to change in his game. I agree. That shooting percentage does not control for the, the quality of yeah. shots, correct? That Which is what you had just said. Yeah. Um, I watched a lot of Blues hockey last year, and what I can tell you is this team is like the Toronto Maple Leafs on steroids. They are either the highest-scoring team in the NHL or like they're the bottom-of-the-barrel team. Like last year, um, compared to this year, there have been no culture changes. I mean, Craig Berube is still there. No yeah. big changes to the team's roster construction. Mine is David Perron. There were nine guys that scored 20 goals last year. This team is built on winning games six to five, seven to five. I mean, now that David Perron's gone, there's fine eight players left on the team that scored 20 last year. Yeah. When this team doesn't score, they're bad. And the argument I'm trying to make is when they're not bad anymore, which will be soon, everyone on this team will start scoring at a high rate. And I think Jordan Cairo will be one of the first to do so because they have invested so much money in him. Starts. There is no way they start playing him 12 minutes a night. No, they're going to keep playing him. Yes. And he plays with O'Reilly. And he is on the second line power play, which kind of sucks. But I think once he starts playing well again, he's going to be on the first line. And if you look at those two power plays, the first and the second line are both very good, good. And they split time. They're deep. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I hope he'll figure it out for selfish reasons. Um, but I think it'll be okay. Um, let's move on to a pair of players in in Calgary. We mentioned it earlier. Um, both Lindholm, Lindholm and Huberto are having kind of tough starts to the year. Yeah. Um, I I don't have much to say in terms of like stats, but I do think that they'll eventually have to figure it out. They're both too good, mm-hmm. and they both complement each other way too well on paper to not figure it out. Huberto is one of the best passes in the league. Lindholm forty goals last season, so he's clearly a very good goal scorer. I think it's only a matter of time before they can figure out how to connect. It, it's tough, right? They, they're playing with a, a brand new line. So is Lindholm, right? With Toffoli, they never played with Toffoli last year. His two line mates left. It does take a little bit of time, so I wouldn't be pressing the panic button if I was in Calgary, especially because they're still really freaking good, even without their top line playing well, which is scary. Yep. Um, so out of all of these players, I agree. I'm not hitting the panic button on either of them. But the one player I am most worried about here regressing is is Elias Lindholm okay. and I I still think he is going to be good like expect 25 to 30 goals from which is a it's a first line center in most on most teams um rumor has it from what I've seen and like I'm not an insider but you know on, on Twitter and TikTok um that they're going to swap him and Kadri um mm. considering their stars and there's multiple reasons for this that I see validity from first and foremost Kadri you know to my surprise shows yeah. no signs of regression He's an offensive beast, and Lindholm is a defensive specialist. So I think to wake up Jonathan Huberto, because he's got like one goal in his first nine, I think Sutter said they might roll with Kadri on the first line. Interesting. Considering the offensive start and considering the money that they put into Nazem Kadri, especially if Lindholm doesn't sign back next year. And if that stays, um, you know, Lindholm plays now on a second line with Manjapane and Coleman, who are both good players, but they're not Kachuk and Goudreau. No. Right. Last year was also the first year that Lindholm put up 40 goals. That's true. He also played with two of the better play drivers and puck distributors in the NHL on those two wings, yeah. who are, I think, two of the best five on five players in the NHL. They're both really good. Right. And granted, he's still going to be on the first line power play till he's no longer a Calgary Flame. Mm-hmm. But if he gets put on that second line, maybe I think 15 goals take get taken off that total last year. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, actually. Um they do have the luxury of being able to move a centerman up, which they never had before this. Mm-hmm. I think Kadri and Huberto would play very well together too. So I, I got, that would actually be really interesting to see that play out. And unfortunately, like you said, maybe that causes a regression in uh, Lindholm's stats. So maybe we don't see a bounce back like we're maybe expecting from the Matthews or from a yeah. other couple of other guys that we mentioned so far. That's a really good point, actually. As for Huberto, you know, this one worries me too. But when I say worry and I think he's going to regress, regression for um, Jonathan Huberto is 95 points. Yeah, so he's, gonna he's be fine. still going to be great. 
like we said, you know, being put in a very defensive system like that of yeah, Sutter, it takes time to develop into. And even when you're fully developed to, if there's a bigger proportion of defensive responsibilities, maybe that costs him five or 10 points a year, which I mean, overall probably makes him a better overall player, yeah. but his point production falls. And I mean, um, he's playing with a very defensive-minded center in Lindholm. And, you know, it's very true that he also played with Barkov for most of his career. But Barkov has shown that he is just as offensively good as he is defensively, whereas Lindholm has only been offensively elite when he played with two offensively elite players. So for all we know, Lindholm can, can, can pick it up. But if he doesn't, you know, and that line stays the same, maybe Huberto has a bit of an issue. But there's just no way he puts up under 90 points this year. Yeah, and... Like you said, new system, new city, new line mates, all of that goes into understandably having maybe a little slower start than we expected. Someone who the other the other team in Alberta was hoping to not have a slow start and he's had quite literally a definition of a tough start is Jack Campbell. I mean, it's early, but this really does seem to be the reason why the Leafs were very reluctant to commit to him. And they seem vindicated, not only because of Samson of having a pretty great season so far but jack campbell um has been shaky he's a really volatile goalie right now he's rocking an 888 save percentage <laughs> which is so tough. just not good um in six games he has a minus 2.1 goals saved above expected so far so basically he's led in two more goals than the expected goals that say that he should a game N- no i think that's just in six games still bad still not great yeah among the 28 goalies that, that have played, um, I think it's five games this season. He's 21st in goal save above expected. Um, wow. And I haven't been watching Edmonton much this season because they play late and, you know, can't watch every hockey game. But he seems to be struggling with his rebound control and his ability to freeze the puck. So I was looking at some of the stats saying, hey, why? What's going on here? Um, he ranks very low in, like, the bottom half, the bottom maybe quarter in number of in, in, among goalies, the number of rebounds that they give up per game and number of uh, times they're able to freeze the puck. And so if you're giving up third, second and third chances with that decor in front of you, who, let's be real, aren't great. You have Tyson Berry, Darnell Nurse, Evan Bouchard, who I have a an issue with. It'll be fine. You're 0-2 yeah. in your fantasy, but you'll come back. Um, not, not, the, not the most uh, defensively astute decor. So if you're giving up second and third chances, you're going to get burned. Mm-hmm. So I think the the... Blame likely lies with both the decor and the goalie, but when the goalie is not re- controlling his rebounds, when he's not smothering the puck when he has opportunities, that's going to hurt you. I think it's a combination of all those things that are contributing to a slow start, but because I'm a fan of Jack Campbell, the person, I hope he figures it out. Yeah, I, I agree. You, you put it well. I mean, in his first six games, he's let in three, four, four, one, three, five goals in his first six, and he got pulled once. I mean, he yeah. didn't even he didn't even get the win in the game that he let in one goal because I think they got shut out by the Blues. That, that that's when Binner got oh, his first shutout. Really? I feel so bad for Oilers fans. Like I genuinely feel bad. There is once again, in a matter of months, a goalie controversy on that team for the longest yeah. time. You know, they sign Koskin into that huge deal. He's the guy. Then Mike Smith comes in. They're both terrible. One's not winning the job from the other. Like one's losing it to the other. The team is good enough to make a cup run. If they had a, a relatively okay goalie, you know, credit to Holland. That's it's still Holland, right? Credit to Holland finally goes out and shores up a hole that should have been filled years ago finally does it you go five by five jack campbell is the guy let's make a cup run and in a matter of months 
He's being pulled. Stuart Skinner is starting games. And you talked about it. Jack Campbell has an 888 save percentage. That's 15th worst in the NHL. You know what Stuart Skinner's save percentage is it's this year? It's actually pretty good, isn't it? He's second in the league at 957 in three games. 957. The only guy in f- above him is Jake Ot- uh, the Otter. The Otter at 960. Yeah, the Otter's having a crazy season on a side note. But Stuart Skinner's at a nine. He's, he's, yeah, he's been really good. I think it's his it's his net now. Like you got to give it to him until he loses it, I guess. So, so that's the question I want to ask you. Considering all of the history where they've had, you know, you think of the Oilers, you laugh at them because their goalies are just so bad. Goalie controversy, goalie controversy, whatever. They finally go out and get a good goalie. They're here. The goalie struggles first. Do you start Stuart Skinner now? Because if you do that, you're accepting to the fact that this offseason was a failure and there's another goalie controversy or yeah. do you let Jack Campbell you know ride until he's at 880 for a month I think I think they they the Oilers are good enough and the Pacific is weak enough where they have the luxury of letting Jack Campbell figure it out mm-hmm. I think they do so I think because it's early in the season maybe you will let him play you give him you give him a few games now try and empower him as much as you can, fill him with confidence, play tight in front of him to try and get those numbers up and to get his confidence up because he really does seem to be a goalie who thrives when he's confident and really, really sucks when he's not confident in himself. Um, that's unfortunate. So maybe you say, hey, Skinner, listen, we paid this guy $5 million. We know you're better than him right now, but we got to let him play. You have a conversation. I think you got to let him try and find it, but I don't know how long you can wait for him because they do want to make a cup run and they got to find out who their goalie is. He needs to find it just for the optics of the Edmonton yeah. Oilers. Like my, my biggest worry is, is that Jack Campbell, like you said, has a mediocre month where let's say he has a, has a, has a safe percentage of, you know, 895 to 905, which isn't great, but it's not bottom of the barrel, but it's pretty bad. He does that for the next month. And then you start saying, you know, Stuart Skinner has a 960 save percentage. You give him the net for four or five games. You're back to square one with Koskinen and Mike Smith circa 2.0. The thing is though, in this case, if one of them is playing well, that's fine. Because it's a sunk cost, right? The $5 million right now. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think like if you're the coach, especially if you're the coach, just give me a goal who can stop pucks. I don't care what his name is. I don't care how much money he makes. At the, although it's not ideal to have the guy you're, you paid in the offseason to be your number one, not be your number one, that's not ideal. As long as someone in the net is stopping pucks, I think that's okay for Edmonton because of their goalie situation has been so dire in the past. Financially and rationally speaking, 100% yeah. you're correct. But Edmonton fans aren't the most rational fans in the world. No, and but I, if they're winning, it's okay. Yeah, but the problem is, is what if they're not winning? Well, then that becomes the issue because if they're not winning, it means whoever's in the net's probably not playing great. Yeah, and also, I don't think I don't think Edmonton Oilers players are happy to go, oh my God, here we are again. We have to win game 6-5. I thought we were finally going to be yeah. able to win them 6-3. Connor McDavid is going, I'm scoring hat tricks. And once again, I'm scared that a, that, that, that a muffin shot is going to go mm-hmm. in on, on a Koskinen 2.0 with Jack Campbell in that. And they got him for five years at $5 five, million. The five years is tough. Like, like I said, I think that's why the Leafs... I think the Leafs probably saw a little bit of the writing on the wall, especially with his his performance last season. I hope he figures it out. I, Me too. I don't think he's an 888 goalie. Let's that's just not where he is. We know he's capable of being up there in the 900 somewhere. If it turns out to be a situation where Stuart Skinner takes the mantle from him a little bit earlier, you know you ride with it because you have a good goalie. I think they have bigger ambitions to the point where I don't really think they care who's in net. That's my perspective. I'm also not in, in Oilers space in that in that like um in that fan base. So I would be interesting to see what one of them thinks. Maybe that's something we can work out for a future episode is kind of have somebody on and s- walk us through what it's like to have a situation like this. But on the outside looking in, as long as someone's stopping pucks for you, I'm happy. 
Yeah, the issue with Jack Campbell is from a bird's eye view. In one yeah. year, he's got a, he probably had like a nine fifteen last year, which is a good goalie. Yeah, a nine fourteen, nine fourteen, nine fifteen last year, but, but he was. We know if you look, if you just take a little bit of a deeper look and look month by month, it's like literally behemoth. It was eight eighty to to nine forty to eight eighty to yeah. nine forty, right? And we're seeing the eight eighty here. And yeah. the problem is, is that the Edmonton Oilers defensive core is worse than what the Leafs defensive core last year was. Yeah. So when he's eight eighty on that team, you know, it's exacerbated. For sure. For sure. Let's move on. We're going to um, talk a little bit about some injuries that have happened. Um, and one guy who's come back from injury somehow. Um, but the first injury is Josh Norris. This is a backbreaker for multiple reasons. Um, What's the most important reason? My fantasy team. This is just a this is just a therapy day for it's you. It's literally I talk. Warriors. I got to air my grievances with Kairu, with Josh Norris. And I sprinkled Bouchard in there a little bit because I couldn't resist it. Um, but on a real note, like, Potentially out for the season with a shoulder injury is such a big blow for the Sens, especially because we spent, not us in particular, but everybody spent the whole offseason talking about how deep their top six was, mm-hmm. how they were better than the Leafs, how they were. And granted, they are probably one of the top like five to six top sixes in the league. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, now they have the first line center get hurt for potentially the rest of the season. Actually, really, really sucks. I'm laughing saying that. Which is not very nice of me. I'm just it's sort of, it's almost like what can I, what else can you do but laugh? Like forget the, forget the team. The the Ottawa Senators are in a position where there's not much pressure because you know they're still not expected to make the play. They're expected to make a push, but if they don't make the playoffs, not like it was a terrible year. Yeah. They're also deep enough where they you know Stutzel Stutzel moves up and Shane Pinto is having one of the best third line center years that we've seen in a long yeah. time. They will be okay. It's but so sad for the player. It is. It's the problem. Like, Josh Norris, like, poor guy. Like I heard last he, year, too, right? Yeah, he's been injury-ridden his whole career, and he's so young. He's never finished a full season. Like, he got hurt, and then he walked off on the tunnel, down the tunnel on his own accord, and he was just, like, smashing his stick. He was punching the wall. Like, you feel for the guy. Like, he's a kid. He's mm-hmm. mad. Like, he's been given an innate ability to be great at hockey. I'm sure he puts in so much work. It. it We've talked to to players about, you know, the mental health consequences that come with injury and how you have to watch your team be great and you're not there. You do all that work, you know, to rehab yourself, to get back to that point, only for another injury to set you back. And it's different if it's a one-month injury, but a whole year? Like, how devastating is that, considering his history, to get a year, another year prognosis? It's brutal. It's brutal. He missed a, a pretty big chunk of last season, too. He just happened to score 35 goals. But people forget he missed a lot of last season. Yeah, it's really tough. It's nothing other like not much to say other than that it is really crappy for the guy. Yeah. If um, there if there's one team to lose a great center like this, I think the Ottawa Senators are well versed to do it. That's the thing. Do you do you think Stetsos ready to be a first line center? No, but I think he's gonna have to be. Well, he's gonna have to be. That's the thing is that like they had great depth when he was the second guy, but. Is he? Because he hasn't even been a center his whole career yet. Because he started on the wing, right? And it's now Josh, he's going to be. G- was Josh Norris good enough to be a first line center? Well, I think he was better than Stutz. He though, was, yeah. right? So I think he was the default first line center. Mm-hmm. I think he showed shades of that last season. But Stutz now is going to be playing first pairing defenseman. He's going to be matched up against the Patrice Bergerons, which he wouldn't have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. I hope for center's sake and for your sake, because you have him on fantasy, that he can take that mantle like find, find some momentum and run with it playing with Kachuk he's really good friends so maybe they have some chemistry that translates onto the ice yep. but it's, I think it's a, it's a big ask and it's an, not something that they're it's, it's a force it's a forced question they're asking of him but I'm going to be interested to see how he, can, how he handles that the benefit is is before Norris got hurt I think for the last five games he has been playing on that first line for some reason they took 
Josh Norris off mm. the first line. Okay. And Stutzel's been playing with, um, oh my gosh, Batherson and Kachuk. And they've been relatively successful. So maybe Stutzler doesn't see this as, oh my God, I'm being, I'm being thrown into the deep end. You know, he has some confidence here. Hopefully he can do it. But I, I, I agree. Josh Norris is clearly the better number one center. But yeah. we hope that it works. And on a more, on a side and more personal note, I, I wish him nothing but a speedy recovery because I can only imagine how tough sure. this is on him. Yeah, very well said. Do this next player pisses yeah. me off. Okay. This is the last one I want to talk about. Sorry to interrupt you. No, Brad go. Marchand pisses me off. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it first? I mean, he had double hip surgery on May 27th um, <laughs> and um, was back having a three-point night just a couple days ago. How? Only five months after How? the surgery. I don't know. I think was originally supposed to come back. Was it like late this late November, sometime in December? Mid December was December. And then he's back what? Is that two months early? A month and three quarters. A month and three quarters early? I mean, man, I d I don't know. I don't know. How is he possible? At his age too. Who's walking earlier than expected from a bilateral hip surgery? This guy's not only skating, he's doing it at an elite level. He's playing hockey. Having no training like the crazy part is that he didn't just come back. He didn't he wasn't just cleared to play and like started um training he just got right back out there he's missed training camp he's missed the first six seven games of the season to get that step back and especially at his age like guys at this age no matter how good you are need time to get their groove back yeah this guy just comes in and scores two goals and one assist and the next night has another two assists like come on like come on it's not it's not fair how do things keep happening to boston sports teams that are just nothing but good yeah <laughs> i don't know i actually just that whole city it's been they've been blessed. If you're from our generation and you've been a Boston sports fan for the past 10, 12 years, you haven't been witnessed nothing but success. And this is just a symptom of that. Things just seem to work out well there. We said that, and you pointed to this earlier in the episode, like a while ago, we said if the Boston Bruins can somehow go 500 with McAvoy and with Marshawn out, you know, come January, there'll be a 30 to 40 game stretch where they can hopefully sneak into a wild card. Not only do they get Marshawn back, 15 games early they're seven and one leading the atlantic pasternak playing like an animal and marshawn coming back in prime spot like this team's gonna put up 105 points again they're gonna be unbelievable they're, they're gonna be un- they've, they were not great in the regular season last couple of seasons for whatever reason this they look like there's no stopping them and do you want to know what the worst part is despite that all of my predictions were wrong i'm not surprised in the slightest no it doesn't yeah it's not, it would be shocking if um the leafs were without matthews and brody and they were off to the start because we don't expect anything of them. But it's you, you see Boston do anything good, and you're like, yeah, okay, it makes sense. It's Boston. We can see that, mm-hmm. which is really tough as a as a rival fan because that's all, that's all you ever ask of your team is when players are missing is you try and you put an effort and you try you try your best. They do that every single game, no matter who puts on that jersey, and that's just a Boston thing. And like, go get a good on them, but it's it's. it's impressive and then it's kind of saddening if you're not a boston fan it's not e- it's not even tough because you always expect that from them it's tough because the leafs are like the opposite assumption in the sense that we're, yeah. when the leafs do anything bad it's like oh, okay yeah, i'm yeah. not surprised that's right yeah. right so yeah, we're the on leafs. the like it's just oh, it hurts so much it hurts so much next question i can't do this anymore i know it's okay well we're gonna wrap up with um do we want to talk about ekblad a little bit no no okay ekblad sir he'll be back soon that's 10 it. second recap good mm-hmm. stuff um i want to talk about a couple teams who are having ridiculously good starts considering where we thought they were going to be preseason um 
Do you want to start? We kind of talked about Boston a little bit yeah. already. They're incredible. We're not shocked. Let's move on before we get ourselves upset. We talked about the Sabres a bit as well. Do you have anything else to add about them? About the Sabres? Um, I think the Sabres, we saw the la- they lost their last two games against the Kraken and the Habs, funnily enough, after sweeping Alberta. So I think they're coming back down to earth a little bit. I think it, I, can, I expect them to be fighting for a wild card spot. I think they're right where they belong in like fourth or fifth in the Atlantic right now. I think if they can keep that up and maybe improve and sing in the playoffs, but that's a great season. I think they've had a good start considering. Yeah, really, really quickly, I'll I'll take Vegas because Vegas are my boys. Those are your guys. You take the Flyers because you please, love the Flyers. Please, um, very quickly, Vegas. Not surprised in the slightest. I gave a hot take. I kind of am. Really? I'm. Okay. I, I'm. It's almost. It's almost kind of like Boston. I thought they were going to be bad. Mm-hmm. But then when I think about it, it's like you got Bruce Cassidy, yeah. you got Jack Eichel, and you have just a solid group of players that even if there's outside noise and things going on in the organization that we talked about, I'm not shocked that they figured it out. And, and I want to hear from you. I don't want to be one of these analysts, and I'm not calling myself an analyst. I don't want to be one of these people that says I told you so um, and bring up one good take in light of a million bad ones that I had. But I did say that Vegas and Pittsburgh were going to be did, in the actually. cup final. You did, and you they've did, both you been did. great. I'm not surprised about Vegas at all. Like, they had a he- they have a healthy Eichel who's looking elite again. They're built the right way. They have a really strong deep deep pair. And with all those valid comments that remember Pacioretty said, if there's mm. one guy to clean up the mess in terms of accountability, it's a it, it's a Stanley Cup champion, Bruce Cassidy. Did he win with them? He didn't. He but he didn't. got to the finals. He was a, yeah, head coach he was a final. Regardless, he's that guy. Mm-hmm. He's that guy that he you is. respect. Um the only issue with them, the only two issues were the accountability, Cassidy figures that out. And then the goalie, you know, no Robin Leonard. Logan Thompson's going to win the Calder. He has two shutouts this year already. A, yeah, I mean, he was, was he not like the ECHL? Like, I think he played for Brock University. <laughs> Brock University. <laughs> yeah, he's going to win the Calder. Like, I like probably. He's he's going to get 55 to 60 starts. It was between him and Aiden Hill. He's not going to give the net up no. considering how great this team is defensively. His numbers are going to not even be inflated. He's just a good goalie. This team is first in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to win. I think they're going to win the Pacific. Seems like I it. I thought that I had that hot take that they're going to beat Edmonton to win the Pacific. Granted, so many games left to play. But but they look good. Still, to start, they look incredible. Okay, now you tell me about Tortorella's Flyers. I literally only have two words. The two words are Carter Hart. Because without him, they wouldn't be as bad as we all thought they were going to be. Yep. They have the third worst expected goals percentage in the league. They have the worst Corsi percentage in the league. They are not driving play. They are <laughs> getting peppered in every single way. But Carter Hart has the best goal save that we've expected per 60 in the entire league, even better than Ottinger. Mm-hmm. Right? He's single-handedly just carrying this terrible team to relevancy. Um, I Listen... I'm happy for Carter Hart because last couple of seasons, we didn't know if he was going to be the Carter Hart that everyone hyped him up to be. But now he seems to be figuring something out. I don't know, maybe Tortorella, maybe a system change. I don't think it's a system because they're getting shelled. He's just playing really well. I'm happy for him on a personal level. But let's take a step back. I don't think the Flyers are going to be continuing anywhere close to this. I also don't think if you're the Flyers, you want to be great like this because we know it's unsustainable. Um and the best draft is coming up in and a very best, long time. Exactly. If you're going to be accidentally good, this is probably not the year to do it. I think the Flyers and the Blackhawks missed the memo that this isn't, this isn't the Shane yeah. Wright draft. It's the Connor Bedard draft. Literally. Yeah, both of those teams are giving like a big middle finger to their to their um, management group. Even though, ironically, we talked about this, I think the Flyers management group think, thinks they're actually good. Mm-hmm. So they probably feel very vindicated by this start. And... It's going to be really interesting to watch them slowly descend down the standings because that's where they're headed. 
even if your goalie is literally Jesus Christ, it only works to a point. If you're controlling 30% of the, sh of the shots and the chances, you're eventually going to start losing. They're due for regression soon. I said this on TikTok. Unless you have Carter Hart, trade all of your Philadelphia Flyers players. Kevin Hayes has 10 points in seven games. I don't think he's ever been over a point a game in his entire career. So right now, Tony D'Angelo, too, just under a point a game. Travis Connecting is over a point a game. Sell those guys if you have them in fantasy and keep Carter Hart because I think he's going to be fine. The last but. thing that I want to say is that I don't want to hear any of this that John Tortorella is the reason that the Flyers are good. No, because really based no. off of your argument, the one thing a coach can't control is their goalie. And if their goalie is the one that is keeping them afloat, I don't want to hear any of this garbage. It's such an easy thing for people to cling on because everyone loves – I, I, I kind of like John Tortorella too, to be honest, because I um, I just I kind of just like appreciate his honesty and his – not like care and, and no care attitude um but yeah he's definitely not the reason for what's going on now maybe he said something to carter hart in the off season i don't know what he could have said to him but yeah it's not him this is all carter hart he deserves all the credit um i think the last thing we want to end off with is the canucks oh, oh yes man i but i don't understand okay like look back on a to side back wins baby what back to back wins <laughs> back to back wins that's true on a side note i i tried to pick you know, I'm a Leafs fan through and through. The The first team that I started to cheer for after the Leafs was the Vegas Golden Knights, um, and they started being garbage. And then I started cheering for the Vancouver Canucks, and they're garbage. Am I just like a bad omen? Should I start cheering Maybe. for the Bruins? You know what? <laughs> I think you should. I think you should. I think we need to hang a Bruins jersey back here and maybe we can give them some Leafs juju and get them to be <laughs> to be bad. I just, I don't understand, like... Like, the Vancouver Canucks didn't have that hard of a schedule. I mean, Edmonton is good. Then they played Philly and Washington and Columbus. Those are three wins you should have. Minnesota's a beatable team. Buffalo's a beatable team. Carolina and Pittsburgh are good, but they beat Pittsburgh. And Seattle's a team you need to beat. They only played three teams that are tough to beat in Edmonton, Pittsburgh, and Carolina. And granted, with the roster that was constructed this year, the Vancouver Canucks should have been good enough to at least take one of those three games. We saw how well they played for Bruce Boudreaux last year in the latter half of the year when he got signed i think all these stats showed that if they played at that trajectory the whole year they would have made the playoffs that year i think everyone was within their rights to say that the vancouver canucks were a team that was expected to compete for a wild card spot mm -hmm. and then what they lose their first five games yeah their first no, i think they lost their first the first seven because they went back to back oh, they're, oh yes. they're they're two five and two lost yes. their first seven games and like, I, I checked Thatcher Demko's stats. He's not the problem. I watched one game. Um, me and Steph were on uh, on Zoom. We watched the ending of the game between the Seattle Kraken and the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. When they won, they looked terrible. Yeah, they did. They were getting hemmed in like you wouldn't believe. But it's not even by, like, being hemmed in by Carolina. Fine. No, it's Kraken. By Maddie Beneers Ma and the Seattle Kraken. This is a team you need to beat, like, with conviction. And you're clinging on to dear life. They even scored a goal to tie it and they got overturned. They're so lucky. Yeah. That was for his first win. And then not even after that, they were up two. They scored a late goal after that to make it 5-4. And um, if it wasn't for JT Miller sacrificing his LCL, yeah. that shot from Burakowski would have went in to tie it. And I can't imagine being 0-7, being up two to the, to the Seattle Kraken with a minute left to play. You come back and you lose that game. Bruce Boudreaux fired on the spot. You think? 100%. Yeah, that would be... That would be tough. A game before a 600th win, too. Could you imagine? They, they, they have, like, the, the front office is coming up and saying, at this rate, we are we might I have to be put that. into a rebuild. I mean, it's pretty cool that Connor Bedard's a huge Vancouver Canucks fan. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs>
the crazy thing is, though, con- despite their terrible start, the Pacific is so bad, they're only two points out of a wild card spot. Wow. It's a complete opposite. I mean, everyone knew the Pacific was the worst division, but this was supposed to be the year that they were the worst division by a very slim margin. Yeah. Because Calgary, Vegas, Edmonton, Vancouver were all supposed to be good. Even the Kings. The yeah. Kings are bad, too. Very bad. And it just hasn't worked. Yeah, I don't... Um, I, the thing is with the Canucks is that their roster on paper isn't even... It's not great, but it's not this bad. It's wild card good. Yeah, you should be able to make the to make a playoff push with this roster. Their defense is bad, like very bad. It's AHL other than Quinn Hughes. Yeah. But on forward, they got, they've got... Maybe I can count four or five very good players on my on my hand. And Pedersen's having a very he's good having year. A great year after we talked about it. Ooh, is he kind of regressing? He's taken the step this year so far. He's shown that he can really be like that first line center. Um, it's just really strange. I don't know how you get off to an zero and seven start and still have a chance at the playoffs, nonetheless. But what do you think the move is here? Do you think the Canucks can sort of build off of this little two game winning streak they've got and? maybe make a push in, a, in, a, in an underwhelming Pacific division to make a wild card spot? Or do you think they tear it down now and sacrifice a season? Like, I don't know. I don't even think you can tear it down. Like, I'm just interested to hear what you have to say. They have, they have to figure it out. Okay. They have to, because they can't, you know, scapegoat the coach because clearly they bought into the coach last year. It's not a coaching problem. They sunk themselves into huge contracts with Pedersen and with JT Miller. Um, and Ekman Larson. And Ekman Larson. There. They can't go into a rebuild. They're also going to be, you know, the rebuild like the San Jose Sharks, which is it's a half rebuild and exactly. it doesn't work. Um, the division is good enough that they can still make the playoffs. And from a Vancouver Canucks fan standpoint, these are some of the most passionate fans in Canada and in the league. And we know this from history. This team has been in a rebuild for the last 10 years. And we've heard about, you know, the promised land in 2014 about, you know, Pedersen, Brock Besser, yeah. JT Miller. All these guys are going to be very good. I don't think JT Miller was there, but regardless, Quinn Hughes, all these guys, these were going to be the guys. And Demko to lead us to a cup. These guys are all in their prime now. And they have a chance to make the playoffs. Their mm-hmm. roster is constructed to be good enough to, and they cannot rebuild like financially or logistically, yeah. or else I think everyone in Vancouver becomes a Seattle Kraken fan. <laughs> they need to figure it out. I agree. They have to, because imagine they go like 50 and what's 50 and 32. Sorry, 32 and 50. Oh, okay. My goodness. Yeah. What do you even do? Like you're not, you can't rebuild. So you just but have you to be can't. perpetually bad. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. I've heard people say it's, they've they've needed to rebuild, but their best players are under twenty five. I mean, JT Miller's old, granted, and so is Bo Horvat, but Besser, Quinn Hughes, Demko, Pedersen, the guys you want to build around. Pod Colson, Kuzmenko. Pod Colson, Kuzmenko. There's one more Hoglander. Uh, Hoglander. They're all young, so there's clearly there's something that's not going right because they can't rebuild because they already have the making of a team who just rebuilt. Yes. Who just rebuilt. Yes. Um. So they got to figure out. They traded for Ethan Barry yesterday, which was strange. They gave him nothing. Fifth. It was a fifth for him. So he might maybe he's an improvement off of over guys like Rathbone. Um, and Tyler Myers, low key. And Tyler Myers, he's so bad. That's a tough. That's one of the contracts we forgot to mention. Yep. That's an anchor. Um, yeah, I think I think they do have to figure it out, and they got to figure it out quickly because they still have a chance. Yeah, it's just very weird because from a roster a roster construction standpoint. Um, this team looks like a team that is emerging from a successful rebuild and can start pushing for a wild card. Like they have the perfect blend. They have a great young goalie. They have a, uh, what looks like 
an offensive number one defenseman. They have a very good top six that is mixed with good young players on still like RFA contracts and um they, they have big UFA players that, that, that are mature enough in JT Miller to like provide experience to those guys. Like this is the perfect making of a team it is, that can paper. start competing for a wild card and you would hope in three to five years be like a perpetual contender when guys like Besser yeah. and Pedersen are on UFA deals. It's just not turning out that way. I don't know what it is. Um, one of my buddies as a Canucks fan even said to all everyone who reports on the Canucks, like the, 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 the golden question is how is this team not good? Because no one can figure it out. On paper, they're great. Yeah. I'm, I may, may, maybe improving their decor is a step in the right direction because after Quinn Hughes, it does fall off a cliff. Yeah. So maybe adding somebody who is a, a legitimate NHL player like Ethan Bear can help. Uh, maybe making smaller moves like that. I don't think you can make a big move because with the cap and midseason and they're not trading from a position of any leverage, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough to shake up the roster. We talked about a Bo Horvat trade, which maybe is something He's they continue well to look year. at. He's been good, right? So it's not... Trades are easy, are easy to make in theory, but in reality are tough to make, especially at this point. I think they have to figure out internally or by making smaller moves like the one they made a couple of days ago. Um, but yeah, I agree. They have to figure it out, and they still have a chance. The fact that I still can't get over the fact that they started off 0-7 and are two points out of a playoff spot. So, no, must, that's anything. Must be nice. Must be. It must be nice, and I hope that they make it. Like you said, we have a couple of friends who are Vancouver fans. Um, we don't really want to see them suck anymore because we have no. I, I have no loyalties in the, in the West. So if the Canadian team can do well, why not go for it? But yeah, it's gonna be interesting to watch this um, Vancouver team navigate whatever the heck they've got going on there. Um, I'm interested to see if they can go on a little run now. I don't know what the schedule looks like coming up. Let me have a quick look, actually. I think it gets tough. I think they have to sweep through the Atlantic next, or in a, or in oh, like. You know what? They have. Games. They have. They do ask. They do have a little road trip through the Atlantic, but before that, they go. Um, Devils, who have honestly been pretty damn good too. Um, Devils, Ducks, Predators, and then Sens. And then, yeah, they go literally right through the Atlantic. You have to much. win three of those four before you go to the Atlantic. You have to. Yeah, because Senators might be able to win. Canadians, you should be able to beat. Then you have the Leafs, the Bruins, the Sabres. Um, it's tough. So let's let's see. Um, it'll be interesting to, like I said, five times. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Any last words in the connects before we wrap? Nope. No. No. Okay, we didn't get a chance to talk about um, this this episode, um, but just a tease for maybe some future episodes. We saw some things about current players right now who are still young, like the first half of their career. If they retired today, would they be Hall of Famers? I think the answer to a lot of them is yes, but we can talk about it later, just a little tease. Other than that, I think that's a wrap for this week. We've been going for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, any last words before we uh, wrap up for the week? and? Uh, congratulations to the the Johnny Chestnut of the NHL in um, oh, Phil Kessel. Big Phil, that's um, right. We will talk about that next week too. We just we ran can out talk of time. about it. Yeah, congrats to Phil Ironman, current NHL Ironman. Nice big slap in the face to uh, Steve Simmons. I love to see that. Yep. Um, he's been in the news right lately too. We didn't really cover that, but um, always nice to see when someone get one over him, <laughs> over on him. And other than that, we'll catch you in uh, in a week or so. Yep. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review Podcast. We'll see you all next week.